Welcome to the State of Everything Extra Tim. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com and I'm joined by Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. How you doing, Tim? Very good, thanks, Paul. How are you doing? Yeah, very good, thanks. Very good. How's your week been going? Uh, well, uh, fine, but uh, the, the, more I, the more I read of certain of my favourite commentators, the gloomier I get about the, the imminence of MMT, which is the latest thing I have to, to worry about and to share my concerns about. And if, if particularly Russell Napier is right in his latest missive, then uh, you, you, the Eurozone has a shock coming its way, potentially. Right. So MMT, for the benefit of the listeners who don't know what that is. As far as I'm aware, so I haven't read up on it uh, to any great length, but MMT is short for modern monetary theory. Yes. And as far as I can tell, the essential principles of modern monetary theory hold and I need to say I disagree with it profoundly, but they hold that a government in control of its own currency can effectively print money and buy government debt and other forms of assets to its heart's content to trigger uh, what I think it presumes to be a control, a controllable inflation. Whereas, I mean, I know on a lot of our recent podcasts together, we've been talking about uh, Chernobyl, both the the event and the the excellent uh, miniseries. And the reality is, I think and fear that if you if you allow full blown MMT to occur under a government or under a central bank, it's it's effectively like triggering a, a nuclear reaction that can't then be overturned. So it just it mm. then just it just runs to its, its climax, which is ultimately some kind of meltdown. What a, what a great analogy! I hadn't thought of it like that. But yeah, ma- I call it ma- magic money theory because it's yeah, it's, it's exactly the same. It's exactly yeah. what people people tend to. I mean, I don't know when the first phrase. The first use of the phrase "magic money tree" uh, came into being, but clearly in, in the aftermath of the of the global financial crisis, and I suspect it was first coined in response to it's like, well, we're told that you know there isn't the money available for this for X, Y, and Z. And then mysteriously, the banks all get bailed out. Mm. So what is this? So clearly, this magic money tree does exist, but it flourishes on very, very uh, you no know, the ground on which it flourishes. Uh, it, it, it's a very rare occurrence, and it's, it's only seen under certain circumstances and under certain climactic conditions. So it's basically a lever that you, or, or a button, however you want to look at it, that, that, that is pushed every time the economy looks like it's going to falter. Going, go, going, into, going into deflation. Going, so. going into deflation, which is yeah. the big fear that, that, uh, that central banks have. And going back to the, the Japanese economy and the the deflationary bust that they had starting, I guess it was sort of after the stock market crash in... in yeah, their, their, their market peaked in 89, 89. So basically set in in 1990. Yeah, so that started in 1990. And funnily enough, the West looked very scornly upon Japan and said, you know, what, what on earth are you doing? And yeah. that's not the way to do it. And now... And, and, then, and they're not laughing anymore. They're not laughing anymore. It's exactly... Yeah. It's always... It's always easy to look at what other people are doing and comment but it's a lot harder to do it yourself well, so what's really intriguing is something I, I wasn't that i was loosely familiar with it but russell russell napier in his latest piece called the solid ground which is available for financial institutions by his electronic research interchange or eric and we can put a link to the, the site i think you do need to be regulated though to, to be able to access it so i'm not sure you can access it as a member of the public unfortunately but uh, nevertheless 
But you're latest. about to give us your password, aren't you, Tim? Uh, exactly, password, <laughs> password, and uh, login details. Um, but but in terms of the SI, so you mentioned Japan 1990s, but it actually goes back further than that. So I'm just going to read briefly. Oh. Hopefully, Russell won't mind. I mean, I'm obviously giving him the full accreditation. I this. think Russell would be very grateful for all the publicity you've been giving him recently. So so, yeah. so, uh, so this is this is from this piece. Uh, there is nothing at all modern about modern monetary theory. It has been tried many times before. It was tried by 77-year-old Viscount Takahashi Korekiyo, who in December 1931 was appointed to his fifth stint as finance minister of Japan. Takahashi, a policymaker with many decades of experience, may have been steeped in the orthodoxy of the gold standard, but he was an old man prepared to take the risk of implementing bold new ideas. Appointed to relieve the deflationary contraction Japan faced in the Great Depression, he took the risk of launching the monetary helicopter, and the central bank began to credit government accounts with newly created money. The government spent it. In the face of a seemingly existential threat in the form of the Great Depression, it seemed like such a small step to take. So Russell goes on to say that within a year, the yen had fallen by 44% against sterling and 60% against the dollar, which at the time was still linked to gold. Uh, that, That clearly pushed inflation higher, but it also, to be fair, stimulated exports and industrial activity. Um, so then uh, Japanese goods abroad sold basically at close to cost and, and less than they than any foreign um, competitors could possibly compete with. So it, it actually had a, a short-term beneficial effect. The, the, the story goes on. On February 26, 1936, Takahashi was assassinated. Modern readers might think that he was murdered by savers aggrieved at their losses through a pernicious combination of the decline in the exchange rate, rising inflation and enforced lower yields. However, Takahashi was not murdered by savers suffering from the introduction of helicopter money. He was murdered because he stopped helicopter money. No. Those, those recipients of the continual expanding public purpose, most noticeably but not exclusively the military, wanted Takahashi dead because he had landed the monetary helicopter. A policy initially disastrous for just savers proved impossible to stop and soon it had taken flight again to finance the public purpose of the subjugation of the peoples of Asia to Japanese rule. Now, wow. I just found that completely incredible. Yes. Completely incredible. Not least, I mean, I, I appreciate, I mean, having worked for the Japanese and having spent some time in Japan, I would accept that there is a degree of cultural uh, difference. You know, the Japanese are different from us. They're different from the West, and they're, they're, there is a degree of sort of local exceptionalism. Nevertheless, you know, the, you'd think that, as, as he implies, you think that, well, you know, this guy, you know, took the bull by the horns, created basically an early or experimented with an early form of MMT. And you'd think then, okay, there's a, the, the savers, the, the, the savers of Japan revolt at being, you know, forcibly depreciated and financially oppressed. And you think, well, they'd be the people who re- revolt against it. And actually, no, he, he stops the, the experiment and then gets taken out by people who want even more of it. Amazing. And, and I present to you Bernie Sanders, New Labour, all of this, you know, nonsensical, socialist inclined, you know, tax and spend and, and, and print and spend and MMT. And you just think, how on earth is this going to play out if it indeed does play out? Because Russell's sort of point is really that if there's any anywhere in the world that's most likely to see or earliest to see MMT unleash, it's going to be Europe. It's going to be the EU mm. because of, they've got a lot of problems, probably bigger in economic terms, in demographic terms, in unemployment terms, bigger than the US, the UK or anywhere else in the world. Funnily enough, on the, on the technicals, there's some breakouts occurring on some of the 
on on the stock markets of of you know Spain and, and Italy uh, that have been particularly weak, but look like they're bubbling up. So having not enjoyed and not joined the rally in the US for various reasons, they're kind they're of now, making up for lost time. They kind of, yeah. I mean, they're, they're sort of unusually strong in a period that you would expect to be the reverse, given that you know the Canaro virus and other other concern. Not necessarily expect inverted commas expect. So it's unusual that it's going up with sentiment being negative is what is what I mean. So that that's interesting. So the the result of of what you're saying perhaps is being um, anticipated by the market, and we're already seeing some some movements in in markets that ordinarily you probably wouldn't want to go near. Because also- the, the the point that sorry to interrupt the, the point that that that's clear is is it's always been the case whenever people are tinkering whenever technocrats. Uh, central bankers are tinkering with money. The people who benefit are always the people closest to that money. So, in this case, the yes. people in the stock market, the, the stock market itself, is benefiting or is benefiting from the the expectation, perhaps, that we're going to get MMT. It also raises the question of where the euro is going to go. And we we were talking to um, Alex Balfour, who was saying that he's very bearish on the euro, which is a trade I always like. You know, I, mm. I, you shouldn't really like a trade. It should just, yes, it's it's too it dangerous just, to get wedded to a position. Exactly, you shouldn't be in love with the position. But I do like the idea of that trade. And well, I, I kind of, I mean, I don't, I, I wouldn't say it's a trade because I mean, there's this this word apophatic, which which sounds pretentious, and, and that it, because it is, but. Uh, what the, does it mean? The, the idea of investing apophatically, I'm, I'm informed by actually a guest we had on the podcast last year, uh, Jonathan Escott, is you're investing apophatically if you identify a problem, but rather than try and exploit it, its weakness, you simply avoid it altogether. Oh, right. So in right, other words, right. so so a hedge fund manager, for example, might say, well, I hate the euro, or I think the euro is going to fail, which is certainly my contention for the medium to longer term. I think it's a busted flush and it's going to end in tears. A hedge fund, a long short or a macro manager might say, oh, I'm going to short the euro. From my perspective, because I'm not a hedge fund manager, I'm tasked with you know, preserving capital, not, not sort of speculating with it. Then the path of least resistance, assuming I'm even right, is to say, well, I just want nothing to do with it then. Yeah. I'll just invest elsewhere. Yes. That's well, the sort of apophatic response. Yes. Or the, or the other idea, which I've liked for many years, and it's taking quite some time to come to fruition, is is sterling against the euro, breaking yeah. over 120. Mm. And now it looks like it's, it's going to finally break this huge level, and euro dollar breaking below parity at some point. So if given this, if this is right, then we, we should see an acceleration in those trends. So volatility in the FX market, which has been non-existent seems to be coming back now this, could, should, this should should be really quite... blow up i mean logically you would think in terms because he also cites this guy l randall ray who wrote the book on this stuff he literally yeah. wrote the book on it which is a book called let me try and find it for you hold on because i've got it in front i've got uh, russell's piece in front of me it's called modern monetary theory a primer on macroeconomics for sovereign monetary systems which you can just see is going to fly off the shelves at amazon <laughs> now that we've now that we've given it this plug but um but basically, you know, it is entirely logical that in doing this stuff, he says, firstly, you know, you should be prepared for you know, the side effects of things like you know, inflation, you know, no surprise, because <laughs> you're basically printing money out of thin air. And if you increase the supply of something without necessarily increasing the demand or actually reversing demand, then you'd expect you know, an inflation response. It's entirely logical also to expect the currency to decline. Yes. Because well, you're, yeah. weak, you're weakening the purchasing power of the, of the respective currency. I mean, there are other implications as well, not least is um, financial repression, 
you know, penning penning savers into into I think what what Russell calls the killing zone. And that that would be so much easier to do if, for example, they banned physical cash altogether, which they clearly also, you know, raised a few, you know, th- trial balloons about over the, the last few years. And the next, a, a another implication of this is, um, in addition to currency collapse, is is and in addition to financial repression, is um, localized debt default. So yeah. if you're, no, but, but if, you, but if can you're, you you're, you're a, sorry, to well, cut I in there, you, Tim, but yeah, I think can you, you can. How, I think you can. How can you have localized debt default if you can just print enough? money to pay it so in other words if you're issuing issuing bonds in sterling and you you can always print sterling currency to pay for those yeah we bonds. can we can but members in the euro european union governments can't yet print their own currency ah, the ecb can do that which ah, is yeah, yeah, kind of yeah, like the, 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 the huge you know weak link the huge sort of achilles heel in the whole project mm. that you've got the ecb acting on behalf of all of the member states, yes, but yes. the but the the individual governments don't have that same. You know, it's not like you don't have a Bundesbank as such. You don't yes. have a central bank of Greece or Ireland or Spain or Portugal. So an individual member state could yet default on its own debt. Yes, yes, that's a very good point. I wonder whether we should stay in the euro eurozone. What do you think? Um, well, I think some of us, to be fair, have fairly consistently <laughs> suggested <laughs> it might not be a great outcome. So yeah, so at least yeah. we've been consistent with that view. Absolutely. So this is in your. But I mean, these these are, these are huge. These are huge issues. Yeah, no, they are, and, and they okay. they ought to be. They ought to be being debated. They, are, I mean, they ought to be being given airtime by the mainstream media. But I think, as as you would probably, I'd like to think, agree. Now, the mainstream media has sort of been asleep at the wheel for so long now, in in sort of matters financial and matters political. Expecting it to do its job over this is is kind of a, like a, a bit of a waste a waste of effort. It's like asking them to look two or three steps ahead, and they don't tend to do that. They just look at the problems of the yeah. day and then try and you know forget it, about but it. But in as much as the mainstream media has the capacity to shape the debate, this is the debate that people should be having. So and, this and, and the reason one reason we won't be getting it here, of course, is because if the BBC is tasked with it, well, since they were never for Brexit in the first place, they're hardly going to justify it after the fact. Yes, yes, exactly. Bias the bias broadcasting company um so you have put this in your weekly is that right and, That's or correct, you're, you're yeah. writing it as we speak no no i i i i think i put it out yesterday so ah, the, right. so it, it comes out in stages so for anyone that follows me on twitter they'll they'll get first sight of it on a, a sort of tuesday or mid midweek basically and same for linkedin and then for anyone that signs up for it, it's free it's free to subscribe to but for anyone that signs up for it they'll then receive it by email on a on a monday right Brilliant. Any any tweets caught your eye this week? Uh, no, I mean, the, so the prevailing stuff that's interested me has been a, a kind of, I suppose, no no change, a mix of sort of a mix of political and cultural stuff. Yes. But um, there's there is a I, I, I caught it via Twitter. There is a, a speech. I haven't fully read it yet, but it's a speech. Uh, bear with me and I'll just tell you what, exactly who it's by. Um, it's by David Frost, so our, our new UK Brexit negotiator um, made a speech that the Spectator publishes in full. Um, I gave it on Monday night, basically about our priorities for a, a UK EU trade deal. And you get the distinct impression that you know Brussels has just lost the plot now. That you know we've gone, but they, they, they seem to be still in a state of weird denial, whereby they can kind of throw their toys out the pram and say, "You're not going to do this, you're not going to do that, and we won't let you." And at the end of the day. In, in extremists, we just say, well, fuck you, we'll leave on WTO terms, see you later. Yeah, and what then, was all that about Barnier saying we, we couldn't have the, the same deal as Canada? This, this, is just, this is just nonsense. It's just nonsense on stilts. So 
I just don't understand. Uh, maybe there's something in the water in Brussels, but you know that causes everyone to behave like a complete moron. But it, you just get the impression that they have learned nothing from the last three and a half years. Yeah. So that that the, 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 this yeah. this stuff isn't going to happen on the basis of newspaper headlines, unless these newspaper headlines. So look, again, it's another indictment of the mainstream media that the, the, the press isn't giving a fair reflection that they're they're taking they're, they're they're maintaining their own kind of continuity remains spin on all this stuff but uh, absent that then i just think brussels is just looking less and less credible because i'm i think now that a lot of the poison has been drawn from the boil of of brexit that's not mixing too many metaphors most people here now, I think, probably don't don't care too much about how it's a done deal. I think, as far as most people in the UK are now concerned, you've yeah. clearly got holdouts. But I think the average man in the street is saying, "Okay, well, we're out, aren't we? Okay, so this is transition period." But basically, it's a done deal. So I, I'm just not sure that the continuity project fear is going to have any real impact now. Yeah, absolutely. So on to listener questions, which we really appreciate. Thank you so much for sending them in. And please send more, obviously. Um, so the first one's from Mark Tabor, at Clownfishy on the Twitter. And he said, could you go into more detail on the different ways of buying gold? What types of funds should people look at, as well as the best ways of buying gold coins, bars, etc.? Okay, so firstly, the disclaimer has to be that none of this is is a sort of investment recommendation. So yeah. you, you please do do your own research. This is just I'm I'm just if you like sort of th- thinking or speaking aloud as to how how we look at the the gold market. So what we what we're doing with our clients is we or recommending that people do is so so one of the ways of looking at gold. Firstly, you need to kind of have a step back and think what are you actually using it for. We're using it as first and foremost as a form of portfolio insurance, as portfolio protection, as currency protection. So, in other words, given a choice between, let's say, having sterling or any other currency sitting inert in a bank account earning nothing, we'd rather own gold. Why? Because gold bullion, um, assuming it's held with a uh, you know a quote safe unquote custodian, then offers you no counterparty risk in a way that currency does whether or not it's in a bank account currency in a bank account leaves you exposed a to the issue of the currency uh, and they're you know that they're the confidence in that issuer in in this case the uk government in the uk or the eurozone in in the in the context of the euro um so it's a function of of what are you doing using it for if you're using gold to speculate on on a higher gold price that's a different animal but we're using it first and foremost as if you like as an alternative to having money in the bank Right. So to that to that end, there are any number of bullion providers, uh, bullion vault, gold money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that will enable you to buy gold. And then in many cases to custody it overseas, not just in the UK. The first caveat would be if you're going to own gold or hold gold, you want to ensure that you don't keep it in the banking system because otherwise you're just you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're you're trying to protect your assets in one form, but leaving yourself exposed in another, which is you're exposed to bank counterparty risk, credit 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 risk. So it's it's important that if you, or of course, an alternative is to buy bullion uh, in physical form and, hold, and keep it at home or in a safe or something like that. The thing with holding it at home is that, and also buying gold in that way, is that the the smaller the bars you buy, 
the, the more relatively expensive they are. So and this and, is true. But, this is but true. also, if you think about if if you're going to eventually use gold, you don't want to be walking around with a large piece that you can't break up. So, sure. So the so, yeah. The, so the denomination is, is is a relevant issue. So for example, what I've done personally is I have some relatively modest amount of gold coins uh, for UK listeners. Sovereigns and Britannias being legal currency attract no capital gains tax. Yes, yes. So exactly. that's, an, that's an important one. Whereas, say, Krugerrand would, for what difference that makes. Oh, is so, that right? I thought all numismatic coins did. No, my, that's my understanding. And I'm, okay. I'm happy to be corrected if I'm wrong. No, I, my understanding I'm, I'm is not an expert either. For a UK, and, and for a UK investor, Sovereigns yeah. and Britannias are a special case because they are legal tender. That's right. Clearly, you'd be mad to use them because their face value is way lower than their real market value. Nevertheless, Sovereigns and Britannias are a special case. So mm. if, if you're a UK investor, that's probably the place to start. Mm. Uh, but thereafter, you're absolutely right. Once you get into sort of gold bar territory, um, then you're looking at something that's going to be a, a medium to longer term hold that, that, that isn't necessarily you know, divisible in the same way that coins are. Yeah. So... So the way the way I've done it and the way we've done it with clients is so firstly first get your bullion if you like because that that should be the starting point and thereafter if you're doing it for example through an ETF an exchange traded fund it's important that the 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 terms of the fund are such that the gold cannot be lent out or what's called rehypothecated in the market because then you've got the risk that if there is a run to gold a sudden run to gold then there's so many paper claims on gold that cannot and will not be fulfilled, that you end up actually in a fund that, although you thought you owned gold, actually just has a generalized claim on gold, and you never actually get the gold that you thought you owned and paid for. Yeah. So just make sure that there's no lending going on, there's no rehypothecation going on, and that you have what's known as allocated gold. In other words, gold that's held for you and is not a generalized claim amongst a pool of investors. Great. Mark Tabor, thank you very much for that question. And just so, uh, one, last, oh, one last bit to add. And then, of course, if, if you're higher up the risk uh, attitude level, then, of course, you get into the realm of mining stocks. So then there's gold mining companies, and they, they operate internationally. And our preference would be for those that are in strong jurisdictions, mm. like the likes of Australia and Canada and, and North America. Great um, idea. But the, there is also a hinterland, a sort of middle ground of companies like uh, wheat and precious metals and Franco Nevada that are what's known as royalty and streaming companies. And these are interesting because they effectively give you exposure to, if you like, listed gold mining concerns, but crucially without exploration or production risk, because they do not sink speculative mines. They simply contract with um, other mining groups who might, for example, be mining for copper, say, uh, and where uh, gold or silver is a byproduct of that process, they'll then agree to take that off their hand, that, that gold or silver off their hands at a pre-agreed rate. That money from the, 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 the royalty or streaming company helps the original miner to develop its mines, and that supply of gold or silver is available to the royalty or streaming company at a below market rate, so everyone's happy. So they're like a middle ground. So to, to, to tier it, I would start for anyone that's you know really really you know keen on owning gold in all its forms because I you know you could be too diversified given the potential challenges ahead. Then you start with the physical bullion in whatever form you want to own it. Then potentially you go the route of say the royalty and streaming companies, and there's a handful of them that operate globally. And then if you have a high risk appetite, still go for large cap miners. Again, do your own research. And then if you really want to swing for the fences, go for small caps, because that's where the high risk, high returns are, are going to come in. 
Brilliant. What a what a detailed answer. Thank you so much for that, Tim. Um, so we'll do one more. Um, I've, uh, this is a question from John Morrow. If we presume that central banks have some kind of secret plan to produce inflation, and given that everyone... <laughs> I think we've established it's not so secret anymore. <laughs> yeah, and everyone knows about the risks of hyperinflation, is it conceivable that central banks will be able to manage a long-term currency deflation without having a catastrophic event? Is that the best scenario you can foresee? I mean, this is exactly what you know. We spent the, the the first half of the show discussing the whole the whole premise of yeah. behind MMT and whether it's likely or not. So these are all hypotheticals at the moment. Though to be fair, we have got the last ten years of QE and ZERP and NERP as proof that you know we kind of know what the playbook is. So no one ultimately knows the answer to this question. What I'm keen to do is simply elevate the volume of the debate such that more people are aware of what's coming down the pipe potentially at them. And so, for example, I mean, I've, I've written something similar in a, a, a newsletter that I write for a company called South Bank Research, and I've ended it by saying, uh, and this will be out next week for people who subscribe to it, and, but I've ended it by saying, you know, if this turns out to be a, you know, a, potential, a, a genuine legitimate risk, you know, write to your MP, you know, have, have this debate taken to a higher level because you know, one thing I'm increasingly... Uh, pleased about is the fact that we have now you know finally sort of voted to part company with the eu and if the eu is going to be like sort of ground zero for the the trial run of mmt um there are some very severe implications for the euro as as we've just discussed for the euro as a currency and for for elements of the euro debt euro sovereign um, government debt load in terms of the, the real value of what those those bonds may ultimately be worth if the current the countries that issued them ultimately effectively are forced to default. So um the fact that the UK is now notionally out of that, albeit with the the transition period, it firstly is a is a cause of immense uh relief to me and I'm sure to others. But we should still have this debate because as as we had a, a recent guy, someone we'll put on the podcast in a few weeks' time, Chris McIntosh, who we who we spoke to last night. You know, he makes the point that how on earth, I mean, he's, he's giving the perspective from New Zealand, but he's saying, how on earth is it that in the UK, you know, one of the sort of fathers of parliamentary democracy, we came within a whisker of getting someone like Corbyn at number 10? Yeah. Perfectly yeah. legitimate question. So e- even if MMT seems predestined to happen perhaps in the EU, there's nothing to stop, you know, someone batshit crazy enough to try, try it here as well. Yes. Um, so in other words, in that sense, it is extremely important that people again have this debate put the you know the the relevance and danger associated with mmt you know as part of a a much broader debate in the uk and and raise the issue with politicians most of whom i suspect haven't got a clue about the economics involved i think the the operative word in in his question is can they manage a currency deflation without having a catastrophic event well it's going to be an inflation though isn't it it's essentially that you're you're inflating you're inflating the supply of the currency, which will effectively destroy or move towards the destruction of, of said currency. Yeah, what, what I would the point I would make about something like that possibly is that it, it's like the the, the old uh, analogy of the brick and the rubber band, and mm. you can pull on the rubber band, and it nothing happens, and then suddenly the brick moves very aggressively. And that is what you're you're potentially dealing with. You say manage it, but how do they manage it? And what will the world look like when they're trying, say, for example, if this coronavirus gets much, much worse and 
and they're trying to create inflation and then they decide that actually we've got a little bit too much and we'd like to raise interest rates, but they can't raise interest rates because you've got another exogenous shock going on, then... um, then there, it's a mess. So I think we're on the I think we're on the same page here. Yeah, you know, you and you and I, and that I, I just don't think it can be managed full stop. Yes. In the same way that you know, could the UK manage to stay in the exchange rate mechanism in 1992? Answer yes. no. Yeah, you know, the mar- because because the market was too big for all of the central banks combined. Yes, the market, and that's the nature eventually- of the currency market. Eventually, the you can't mess with the markets like this without there being long term consequences. And eventually, eventually, the markets will have their own way. Yeah, and and that I think is is something that, like you say, about holding gold five thousand years of uh, of history, and that, that's versus the versus market. a currency project that's been in operate proper operation for about twenty years. Yeah, exactly. It's no time at all. Blink of an eye. Brilliant. Well, Tim, thank you so much. We've got. Two great questions um, that we're going to do on the next one. Um, one is from Sanjay about the uh, Kyle Bass and his thoughts on an HSBC collapse, which I think is absolutely brilliant. And I want to give it lots of time. And also from Shane McAvoy about inflation and shadow stats. So I think they, those are two topics that I'd rather spend a bit longer discussing. We'll, do, we'll than, do them next week. So we'll do those next week. But please, if you have any more questions, send them through. We love to hear from you. And hope you like the new format. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to the one and only Tim Price for Thanks, Paul. being so generous with thank, your, thank your you answers. For listening. And don't forget, you can sign up to his research at... <laughs> what's, what's your word? It's um, Price Value Partners, Doc. It's, price, that's how you price do it, value, isn't it? Pri- Yeah, exactly. You can do it via the pricevaluepartners.com website or you can just tweet me at, uh, at Tim F. Price. And you'll be stuck on the mailing list. Uh, yeah, I'll be uh, stuck on the mailing list. is a bit harsh. You'll be <laughs> gloriously, gloriously delivered onto the mailing list. Absolutely. <laughs> Superb. Thanks, Tim. It's been pleasure, an absolute Paul. pleasure. See you soon. Speak to you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. It's so fantastic to have you on board. And thank you for all your comments on Twitter and on the podcast providers. They really help. It really helps to leave a review. I know everybody says it, but it really does. Um, so thank you so much. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.